Well, happy Sabbath. So this is part four of a series of sermons I've been doing. Actually, this was supposed to have been the third sermon, but uh, I had done the fourth sermon in Cooper because it's the one that made the most sense for where they were like, you know, doing one, an isolated one. But the end of this sermon was supposed to lead into that sermon. But it still makes sense. So um, basically today we're going to talk about primarily this phrase that Jesus said was, many will come in my name. And well, I'll get to that in just a second. Well, the first sermon we've done, uh, I think it was back in May. Was it May? I can't remember. Uh, it was about pestilence, which was a part of what he was talking about here. And I went through from a little bit before the time of Christ all the way up until now because of the revelant, what's going on right now. Um, and so that was the first sermon we did. The second sermon, um, we went over uh, Daniel 12 for um, the increase of knowledge and the increase, the increase of uh, the population on the earth. Um, many people don't realize this, but a couple hundred years ago, there were only probably around five or six hundred million people on the earth in totality. And in the last, say, 150 years, it's ballooned up to around 7.8 billion people. Um, so, like, in these, in these days of technology and um, the increase, the population on the earth has increased, which is why when you have, like, like uh, this pandemic, it's a worldwide thing because it spreads all across the world. Also, like we're going to talk about today, because of technology, with the wars and rumors of wars, while we had two world wars where all the countries are in conflict with one another. And so that was what we talked about in that sermon. Um, and this last sermon, which was one that we did last time, was about the days of Noah. And when we went over that sermon, it was like looking at a mirror, like as Ellen G. Wright was describing the days of Noah, it was like a mirror image of what we're seeing today. And so um, we're going to end this sermon with the, the next chapter, where she was talking about the earthquakes. Um, in, um, I think it's Prophets and uh, Patriots and Prophets. So, um, but today we're going to talk about uh, the, the, the phrase, many will come in my name. Pestilence, earthquakes, and, and uh, being diverse places and famines. And so let's go ahead and get started here. If you want to read along or if you don't want to read on, I said Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. I'll give you a second to catch that up. But yes, like, er, like while you're looking that up, all these signs that Jesus was talking about are like the, the, the sound of the hammer that when Noah was building the ark was the recurring warning. The time is at hand. The time is at hand. All of these signs should not bring fear into our hearts, but should be like a wake-up call because Jesus said we would all be asleep at, in these last days, and that is exactly what is happening here. So let me go ahead and read this. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world. 
And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. So, what, what I did here, that first part he's talking about, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And so, something I had never even, I, I knew many had come in his name, but I didn't have any idea how many have come in his name. So I didn't, I didn't have any idea. So what I did is I did a Google search and I asked for a list of people who have come in Jesus' name or, or claim to be Jesus. And there's two different lists that pops up, and you can, get, you can find them on Wikipedia. There's people who have come claiming to be the Messiah, and there's people who have come claiming to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ, the literal reincarnation of Jesus Christ. And just so you know, nothing we're going to talk about today has anything to do with the Catholic Church or the Pope or anything like that. We're just strictly talking about individuals who have come in his name claiming to be him. That list is very long. <laughs> just, the, just the list of people who have come claiming to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ is very long. We're not even touching the list of people who claim to be the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And I'm only going to highlight a few of people on that list, which, as you probably can tell, this is probably the next area of study I'm going into because it is amazing what I, what I found here. And we're going to share up some of those here. Okay, so we're going to do the 18th century. We're just going to go that. We're not even going past that. We're just going to go 18th century, 19th century, 20th century. And the first one is Anne Lee. She was born in 1736 and died in 1784. She was the founder and leader of the Shakers. Leaders, uh, Lee's followers referred to her as the mother, believing that she was the female incarnation of Christ on earth. I'm not going to read all these. I'm just going to read the ones that were like the ones that jumped out at you. In the 19th century, uh, John Nicholas Thom, born in 1799, died in 1838, was a Cornish tax rebel who claimed to be the savior of the world and the reincarnation of Jesus Christ in 1834. He was killed by British soldiers at the Battle of and these names. I'm horrible with saying these people's names in places. Battle of Bosendon Wood on, thir- on May 31st, 1838 in Kent, England. Then there was Arnold Potter in 1804 through 1872. Um, he was the schismatic Latter-day Saint leader. He claimed the spirit of Jesus Christ entered into his body and became the Potter Christ, son of the living God. He died in an attempt to ascend into heaven by jumping off a cliff. His body was later retrieved and buried by his followers. Then there was Jones Vary in 1813 through 1880. was an American essayist, uh, uh, poet, literary scholar, and Greek tutor at Harvard who befriended several prominent American transcendentalists and suffered a nervous breakdown in 1837, which he claimed to have become the second coming of Jesus. And these are people from all over the world, so some of these names... Bear with me here. Ba Halu, Halua, born in 1817, 1890 through uh, 1892, was born uh, a shite, 
adopted baptism later in 1844. He claimed to be the prophesied fulfillment and promised one of major religions, including Hinduism, Judaism, Zoroastrianism, Buddhism, Christianity, and Islam. He founded the the Baha'i faith in 1863. Um, the the Baha'i is believed that the fulfillment of the prophecies of the second coming of Jesus, as well as the prophecies of the fifth Buddha, Maitreya and many other religious prophecies were begun by the Bab in 1844 and then by Baha'u'llah. They commonly compared the fulfillment of Christ, uh, Christians' for, uh, prophecies to Jesus, fulfillment of, of Jewish prophecies, which in case both cases, people were expecting the literal fulfillment of apocalyptic statements. Okay. So, uh, continue on. William W. Davies, and some of these you probably have heard um, we're going to, uh, when we get to the later part of the centuries, William W. Davies, 1833 to 1906, was also a leader of the later day Saints schismatic group called the Kingdom of Heaven, located in Walla Walla, Washington, from 1867 to 1881. He taught his followers that he was the Archangel Michael, who had previously lived in the biblical Adam, Abraham, and, and lived as the biblical Adam, Abraham, and David. When his son Arthur was born on February 11, 1868, Davies declared that the infant was the reincarnated Jesus Christ. When Davies' second son, David, was born in 1869, he was declared to be God the Father. Right. <laughs> All right. Then, um, this guy right here, you see this picture here? This is who uh, the next person that we're talking about. Mizra Gulam Ahmed of Quaden, India, and he was born in 1835 and died in 1908, claimed to be the awaited Mahdi, as well as the second coming and likeness of Jesus, the promised Messiah at the end of time. He claimed to be Jesus in a metaphorical sense and character. He founded the Ahmadiyya movement in 1889, envisioned it to be the rejuvenation of Islam and claimed to be commissioned by God for the reformation of mankind. Uh, then you got Cyrus T. in 1839 to 1908, was an American physician, claimed to be in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and to have obtained knowledge regarding the hollow earth theory, presenting a cos- uh, mo- cosmological model having the earth as an inverted sphere and remaining in the remaining universe located within it. Uh, Carl Brown, in 1849 to 1914, was an American activist, leader of the Coxies Army protest movement, claimed to be the partial reincarnation of Jesus. All right, so let's go to the 20th century. Uh, you have John Hugh Smith Pigott. 1852 to 1927, around 1890, um, Smith started leading meetings of the Agapenite community and recruited 50 young female followers to supplement his aging population. It took Ruth Ann Priest as his sec- he took Ruth Ann Priest as his second wife and she had three children named Glory, Power, and Hallelujah. And I didn't want to finish reading that. I, I did a little bit more research on the Agapenites um, or they're also called the Community of the Son of Man, was a Christian religious group or sect that existed in England from 1846 to 1956. It was a name, it was named from the Greek agapani, meaning abode of love. The agapani community was founded by the Reverend Henry Prince in Spaxton, Somerset. The sect is also a church in Upper Clapton. 
uh, London and briefly has bases in Stoke by Clare and Suffolk, Brighton and Weymouth. The ideals of the community were based on the theories of various German religious mystics and its primary objective was the spiritualization of the matrimonial state. The Church of England had dismissed Prince early in his career for his radical teachings. The Agapenites predicted the imminent return of Jesus Christ. According to newspaper accounts, Prince's successor, John Hugh Smigot, declared himself Jesus Christ's reincarnation. The, the Agapenine community consists mostly of wealthy, unmarried women. Both Prince and Smith Pigott took many spiritual brides. Later, investigations have shown that these brides were not solely spiritual and that some produced illegitimate children. In 1860, Prince lost a lawsuit brought on behalf of Louisa Nottage by the Nottage family and the group vanished from the public eye. It finally closed in 1956 with the last member died. Okay, so this guy right here you see in the picture, Hale on Hali, 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 yeah, Celesi, eighteen ninety-two to nineteen seventy-five, did not claim to be Jesus, and this disproved of claims that he was Jesus. But the Rastafari movement, which emerged in Jamaica during the nineteen thirties, believes he is a second coming. His embodied, his, he embodied this when he became emperor of Ethiopia in 1930, perceived as confirmation of the return of the Messiah in the prophetic book of Revelations, chapter 5, verse 5 in the New Testament, who is also expected to return a, a second time to initiate the apocalyptic day of judgment. He is also called Jah Rastafari and is often considered to be alive by Rastafari movement members. All right, and the last here on this screen here is Ernest Norman. He was an Amer- he was born in 1904, died in 1971. He's an American ele- electrical engineer who co-founded the Unaris Academy of Science in 1954. Was allegedly Jesus in a past life, and his earthly incarnation was an archangel named Raphael. He claimed to be the reincarnation of other notable figures, including Confucius, Mona Lisa, Benjamin Franklin, Socrates, Queen Elizabeth I, and Thomas Peter Peter the the first, uh, one, the first to great. All right. There was Krishna Venta, which is the guy in this picture here, born in 1911 to 1958, was born Francis Herman Pinkovic in San Francisco. He found the WKFL fountain um, of the world called in Simi Valley, California, in the late 1940s. That, that stands for wisdom, knowledge, faith, and love. In 1948, he stated that he was Christ, the new Messiah, and claimed to have led a convoy of rocket ships to Earth from the extinct planet Nephrites. He died on December 10, 1958, after being suicide-bombed by two disgruntled former followers who accused Venta of mishandling cult funds and having been intimate with their wives. Then there was Aum Sang Hong in 1918 to 1985, a South Korean who founded the World Mission Society Church of God in 1964, who recognized him as the second coming of Jesus. The World Mission Society Church of God teach that Zhang Gija is the God, is God the mother, who they explained is referred to in the Bible as the new Jerusalem mother in Galatians 4, chapter 26, and that Ang Sang Hong is God the father. Then we have this guy here. Sun Myung Moon. Uh, he was born in 1920 and he died in 2012. 
believed by members of the Unification Church to be the Messiah and the second coming of Christ, fulfilling Jesus' unfinished mission, church members uh, or Unificationists consider Song Myung Moon and his wife Hak John Han to be the true parents of humankind as the restored Adam and Eve. And then we jump down here to the bottom, which most people know this person, Jim Jones. In 1931 through 1978, was the founder of the People's Temple, which started off as an offshoot of mainstream Protestant sect becoming, uh, before becoming a personality cult as time went on. He claimed to be the reincarnation of Jesus, Akhenaten, or whatever, the Buddha, uh, Vladimir Lenin, and the Father Divine in the 1970s. He organized a mass sewer, uh, murder-suicide at Jonestown, um, Guyana, on November 18, 1978. He shot himself after the murders were done. Then we get into the 21st century, and we have Apollo Quibli, below, born in 1950, still alive today, is the founder and leader of a Philippine-based restorationist church, the Kingdom of Jesus Christ. The name above every name, um, he has made claims that he is the appointed son of God. Then there's Hassan Mezerkarsi, whatever, born in 1954, still alive today, is a former politician and member of the Grand National Assembly of Turkey, born um, from 1991 to 95, who was expelled from the Welfare Party and imprisoned by his extreme view against secularism. He claimed to be ISA after his imprisonment. Then the people in this picture here is Alan John Miller. Born in 1962, to, uh, still alive today. Uh, more commonly known as A.J. Miller, a former Jehovah Witness elder and current leader of the Australian-based Divine Truth Movement. Miller claims to be Jesus Christ reincarnated with others in the 20th century to spread messages that he called the divine truth. He delivers these messages in seminars and various forms of media along with his current partner, Mary Suzanne Luck, who identifies herself as the return of Mary Magdalene. So we're going to skip the rest of those, but you get the point, right? Like that's just the tip of the iceberg of people who have come just claiming to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said, many shall come in my name, he was not kidding. That's just the beginning of what, I, what, what that research was showing me. And I was like, there's no way I can go through all those names. So the next part was the wars and rumors of wars. Now, there's been wars since the beginning of, of, of human civilization, and there'll be wars to the end. But what's unique about um, the World War I and World War II was that all, not all, but most of the countries in the world picked a side and went to war against one another. And so I just want to read some facts about about that real quick. Um, World War I was in 1914 to 1918, lasted about four years. World War II was in 1939 to 1945 um, and lasted about six years. What caused World War I was the assassination of Archduke Francis Fernard of Australia in June 1914. Um, and what started World War II was the political and economic instability in Germany. The harsh conditions of the Treaty of Versailles rise the power of Adolf Hitler and his alliance with Italy and Japan to oppose the Soviet Union. Who were the wars or the conflict between in World War I? The Central Powers, which was Germany, Austria, Hungary, um, and Turkey. And the Allied Powers, which was France, Britain, Russia, Italy, Japan, um, and from 1917, the U.S. 
In World War II, the Axis powers, Germany, Italy, and Japan, and the Allied powers with France, Britain, the U.S., the Soviet Union, and China. Which, what's important about it is that the major countries of the world have allied themselves with the other, other uh, countries that are more in alignment with their political beliefs, so that now we live in a world where you, you, you have to be very careful who you start a war with because you could, you could cause a, thir- a third world war. Um, and just for time purposes, I'm just going to go on. But right now, if you've been watching anything about the news, there's a whole conflict, hap- a potential conflict happening with Taiwan, which China wants Taiwan to be a part of China. We do not want them to be a part of Taiwan. And if they do invade Taiwan, the United States has to make a choice. Do we intervene on behalf of Taiwan and potentially start a nuclear war, or do we not? And we kind of kind of stay out of, we kind of try to stay out of, like, our, our making a stand on where we stand in that position. But many fear that there could be another world war. So when Jesus was talking about wars and rumors of wars, I think this is a lot of what he was talking about. Because obviously there's been big wars all the way back from the time of Jesus Christ. But now we're talking about wars that could destroy most of the population on the earth because you're talking about nuclear wars. But if you don't know anything about that, you can go read about this Taiwan situation. And then obviously we've been having conflict with North Korea for a couple of years. And if we go to war directly with North Korea, China, you're basically starting the next big war because of the allied forces between all of us. Obviously, Afghanistan and the, and the Middle East is also a part of that equation. So Jesus talked about all of that. Then he talks about famines. There have been famines since the very beginning. Obviously, a big account of the famine was in uh, Joseph back in um, Egypt, uh, how God used Joseph um, in that story. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that we still have famines today. Um, we don't really hear a lot about that here in the United States, but across the world, there are a lot of places where famous still happen. Just starting in 2000, uh, 2003 to 2005, there was a famine in the uh, Sudan. And I think they're saying around 200,000 people died in that famine. In 2005 to 2006, um, in Nigeria and West Africa, um, they said at least 3 million were affected in Nigeria and 10 million throughout West Africa. In 2011, 2012, there was a famine in Somalia. We were on 285,000 people died in that. And just to jump down here, uh, there was a famine in Yemen with 85,000 children and unknown number of deaths. Um, so there's famines happening even up to date in a world where there is a surplus of food and resources. There are still famines happening today. So we're never going to have a world where there's no famines or people not going without food. But what I wanted to really go over here was the Great Famine of 1315 to 1317. They call it the Great Famine um, because large portions of Europe perished in that famine. Um, The Great Famine of 1315 to 1317 was the first of a series of large-scale crises that struck Europe early in the 14th century. Most Europe extending east 
to Russia and south to Italy was affected. The famine caused many deaths over an extended number of years and marked a clear end to the period of growth and prosperity from the 11th and 13th centuries. The Great Famine started with bad weather in spring of, in the spring of 1315. Crop failures lasted through 1316 until the summer of harvest in 1317, and Europe did not fully recover until 1322. Crop failures were not the only problem. Cattle disease caused sheep and cattle numbers to fall as much as 80%. The period was marked by extreme levels of crime, disease, mass death, and even cannibalism and uh, infanticide. The crisis had consequences for the church, state, um, European society, and for future calamities to follow the 14th century. Um, And right after this was the, the Black Death. So that this was just a bad period of time where one happened right after the other. Um, let's see here. Jeez, uh, estimates of death rates vary by place, but some example includes a loss of 10 to 15 percent in the south of England. Northern France lost about 10 percent of its population. So that would be like we have around 365 million ish um, people in the United States. That would be like what? Thirty-six million people perishing in a famine here in the United States. That would be, I mean, that would be catastrophic, right? I mean, that would just devastate a whole country and a whole in the world. That's the kind. That was the level of famine that was happening in that time period, which was followed by the Black Death, which was like the plagues. So, <laughs> God foretold all of this, and then finally, the earthquakes. Because he said there's going to be earthquakes in diverse places. Um, I've found a list of the 20, 20 largest earthquakes in the world that are on record. And I, and I, and I, there's, I, didn't got, I don't have all 20, but I have the top five here. In Russia, there was a 9.0 in 1952. In, in the East Japan, there was a 9.1 in 2011. In Sumatra, which are some islands, um, there was a 9.1 in 2004. In, in Alaska, there was a 9.2 in 1964. And then in Chile, which is the largest earthquake on record, there was a 9.5 in Chile in 1960. That's the largest earthquake on earth. Like that's that's massive for an earthquake. And just how big was this earthquake? Uh, the largest earthquake recorded was a magnitude 9.5 uh, timbler that ripped along the coast of southern Chile on May 22, 1960. The colossal quake and the powerful tsunami that followed killed more than 1,400 people and left 2 million homeless in Chile. And its, and its devastation reached far beyond South America. The tsunami swept across the Pacific Ocean, wrecking havoc in Hawaii, the Philippines, and Japan. A day after the earthquake, walls of water up to 18 feet high rushed ashore at Honshu, Japan's mainland, destroying 1,600 homes and killing 138 people. The colossal quake was known was what is known as a megathrust earthquake. These giant quakes, the most powerful quakes the planet is capable of unleashing, occurred on the subduction zones where one tectonic plate dies beneath another. In this case, the quake was caused when a 620-mile-long stretch of the Nazca Plate on an uh, oceanic plate that forms a large swath of the Pacific Ocean lurched deeper beneath the South American Plate, producing the only 9.5-magnitude quake on record. 
Essentially, each successive magnitude is 33 times larger than the last. That means a magnitude 8.0 is 33 times than a 7.0, and a magnitude 9.0 earthquake is 1,089 times more powerful than a 7.0. The energy ramps up fast. And that's a picture of Chile um, when it was hit in 1960. But that was actually an incorrect statement. That is not the largest earthquake on record. What is the largest earthquake on record? Lisbon. Huh? Lisbon? 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 Nope. Nope. Anybody? Think about the last sermon I did. What's the largest earthquake on record? The flood. That is the largest earthquake on record. Ellen G. Wright, like when we went over that, um, when I went over that sermon, she described what was happening during the flood. And she's literally talking about an earthquake that became the mother of all earthquakes. That is the largest earthquake on record. And so I'm going to finish the sermon with her words as she's talking about this. The entire surface of the earth was changed at the flood. A third dreadful curse rests upon it in consequence of sin. As the water began to subside, the hills and mountains were surrounded by a vast turbid sea. Everywhere were thrown the dead bodies of men and beasts. The Lord would not permit these to remain to decompose and pollute the air. Therefore, he made of the earth a vast burial ground, a violent wind which was caused to blow for the purpose of drying up the waters. Move them with great force, and in some instances even carry away the tops of the mountains, and heaping up trees, rocks, and earth above the bodies of the dead. By the, by the same means of silver and gold, the choice wood and precious stones, which had enriched and adorned the world before the flood, and which the inhabitants had idolized, were concealed from the sight and search of men. The violent actions of the waters, piling earth and rocks upon these treasures, and in some cases even forming mountains above them. God saw that the more he enriched and prospered sinful men, the more they would corrupt their ways before him. The treasures that should have led them to glorify the bountiful giver and had been worshipped, while God had been dishonored and um, and despised. The earth presented an appearance of confusion and desolation impossible to describe. The, the mountains, once so beautiful in their perfect symmetry, had become broken and irregular. Stones, ledges, and ragged rocks were now scattered upon the surface of the earth, and many places, hills and mountains had dis- disappeared, leaving no trace where they once stood. And plains had given place to mountain ranges. There, these changes were, were more marked in some places than in others. Where once had been earth's richest treasures of gold and silver and precious stones were seen the heaviest marks of the curse. And upon the uh, countries that were not inhabited and those where there had been the least crime, the curse rested more lightly. At this time, immense forests were buried that have been since changed to coal, forming the extensive coal beds that now exist, and also yielding large quantities of oil. The coal and oil frequently ignite and burn beneath the surface of the earth. Thus, rocks are heated, limestone is burned, and iron ore melted. The action of the water upon the lime adds fury to the intense heat and causes earthquakes, volcanoes, and fiery issues. As the fire and water come in contact with the ledges, um, of rock and ore, 
there, there are heavy explosions on the ground which sound like muffled thunder. The air is hot and suffocating. Volcanic eruptions follow, and these often failing to give, uh, give sufficient vent to the heated elements. The earth itself is convulsed, and the ground heaves and swells like the waves of the sea. Great fissures appear, and sometimes cities, villages, and burning uh, mountains are swallowed up. These wonderful manifestations will be more and more frequent and terrible just before the second coming of Christ and the end of the world as signs of a speedy destruction. More terrible manifestations than the world has ever yet beheld will be witnessed at the second advent of Christ. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell with therein. Who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? Nahum chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down, um, touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Cast forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out thine arrows and destroy them. Psalms 144, verse 5. As lightning from heaven unite with the fire in the earth, the mountains will burn like a furnace and will pour forth uh, terrific streams of lava, overwhelming gardens and fields, villages and cities. Seething molting masses thrown into the rivers will cause the waters to boil, sending forth massive rocks with indescribable violence, scattering their broken fragments upon the land. Rivers will be dried up. The earth will be convulsed. Everywhere there will be dreadful earthquakes and eruptions. Thus, God will destroy the wicked from off the earth. But the righteous will be preserved in the midst of these commotions, as Noah was preserved in the ark. God will be the refuge, and his wings shall they trust, says the psalmist. Because I have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, the habitation, there shall no evil befall these psalms. 91 verses 9 and 10. So, she's talking about the mother of all earthquakes, the, the earthquake that created the earthquakes. And it was... And that happened when the Lord purified the earth. Is the Lord going to purify the earth again? There will be another great earthquake when he's recreating the earth. So think about it like this. Whenever the Lord is trying to purify the earth or he's trying to make a statement to humanity to get our attention, to wake us up, what, is he, what instrument does he use to do that? Natural Nature, nature. He uses nature to wake us up, to remind us who is in control, to remind us who is all powerful. And we should listen. And as we witness these events, they should be waking us up and we should be saying, oh, yeah, the Lord is coming back and it is near. This is a time for us to be reflecting upon our lives, our relationship with God. And instead of being fearful and 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 uh, and scared about what's happening. These are encouraging things. This is he said. These things must come to pass before the end will come, right? So that's that was why I wanted to do the sermon because when I was looking back at that those verses about the many will come and the earthquakes and all the things and the pestilence and all the things happening now. It, it was like, wait a minute, God is trying to get our attention. This is, this is what this is all about. This is why he's allowing these things to happen. And so with that, I'm going to finish with this. Next week, my youth are going to do the sermon, and it's over creation, because next week is creation week. Um, so it kind of fits really well with this sermon and the sermons we've been doing. And so 
next week, all of my youth are going to get up and do that. So, um, yeah, be looking for that next week. All right, let's all bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for giving us the warnings, um, working with us um, as a community, as individuals, giving us opportunity and time to get our hearts right, to um, to build our relationship with you, to allow, to give us the time to to become more like you, Lord. We know that you are delaying because you're trying to give us time. You're not punishing the world. You're actually trying to save as many souls as possible, Lord. And in these times when we're going through all these events, Lord, show us who it is that we need to go out and talk to and witness to and share the truth with. Um, Give us your courage to go out and to spread the gospel as you see fit. And, Lord, we just ask that you be with all of us here today um, and all those who are listening. Help us all to grow and to become more holy and to become more like you, Lord. There's so much work left to be done, Lord, and we ask that you give us the, the, the courage, the knowledge, um, and the fortitude to go out and stand when it is uncomfortable and unpopular to do so. And so, Lord, we thank you for all the things that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.